Hi folks, welcome back. Um, before we get started on uh, introducing um, my guest this week and uh, the intro I did a bit earlier, I want to have a think about it and I just thought I'd give you a little added bonus to this pod. Um, so stitched at the end, if you listen all the way through to the end of the pod, you will hear <laughs> my ramblings as I go for a stroll around one of the suburbs of Havana. Now, over the years, I've got a vast amount of recordings and I keep a sort of audio diary so I have um, snippets of things my thoughts and also just background of stuff going on wherever I've been which builds up into a very nice little audio library of adventures really and sometimes when I dig them out I listen to them back you know on my own with my headphones and it's amazing suddenly you're just transported exactly back to where you were you can remember exactly the picture in your mind's eyes, you hear these sounds. I can remember what I was doing, what, what even what I was thinking. Quite amazing. A bit like smell, really. It takes you straight back. So, I thought, well, why not? Um, I talked to my guest today about Havana and uh, Cuba, and I thought, well, let's stitch a little bit of Cuba in there, and uh, just to give you a little soupçon flavour of that amazing city. Um, let me know what you think. If you like it, then I'll keep digging in the old gander bag and, uh, and, and pulling out some more for you. Uh, if you think it's just rubbish and rambling and uh, noisy and nonsense, then uh, then I won't go to the extra bother. Um, so don't forget, listen to the, all the way through to the end of the interview um, and when I sign off, and then there will be a little added extra Brucey bonus for you. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to Around the World in 80 Cigars, the podcast. My name is Nick Hammond, and uh, and we're here again to give you a bit of entertainment and to keep you all going, all those uh, lovers of the good things in life. Now, today's guest is a lovely lady that knows more about cigars than probably I shall ever learn. And, uh, and what's more, she has all the contacts in Havana and in Cuba as well, because not least because she is Cuban herself. Uh, this lady has been working in London uh, in the cigar trade for many years now. Many of you will know her. Many of you will, uh, will have enjoyed a cigar with her. And, uh, and she's a delight to talk to, great fun. And we've had some fun through the years, one way or another, in various places. Good morning to Magali de la Cruz. Morning, Mags. Good morning, Nick. Thank you so much for such a great introduction. Uh, it's a pleasure for me to join you today, at least to break the routine of being on bed. <laughs> it's always a pleasure to, to hear your lovely voice. So, Mags, tell me, um, you're not working at the moment for obvious reasons, because we're all at home, but you were in Cuba not that long ago, weren't you? Yeah, this is something really dramatic because, like you know, and everybody knows, we went to Cuba for the Havana Festival, and the festival ended on the last day of uh, February. Then I stayed 15 days behind uh, to go and see my mom and, you know, to, to holidays. And I came here without having the real notion of what the hell was going on because the little news that I was getting in Cuba never said the exact uh, magnitude of this horrendous nightmare. And I just landed here five days before the lockdown of the city. Oh, wow. So you didn't really have any idea how serious it was getting? No, not at all. Even uh, when I left Cuba and I took the plane, 
which it was really a miraculous because I almost didn't get out of the plane. It was really full. Everybody was trying to leave. And when I arrived here, um, it was normal at the airport. I mean, no one took my temperature, no one asked anything, and I came home. So when I came home and I started to watch the news and speak with my sister, is when I realized really how big everything was going on. Gotcha. And it was so frightening, though, that, you know, it was really, really sad. And it is indeed really sad to see what the hell is going on around the world. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, look, let's not dwell on that for a moment because we had a chat last night on text, didn't we? And it's actually, it's horrible. So let's let's talk about good things for a little while. Max, tell us a bit about yourself to start with, for people that don't know. Um, I've said you're a Cuban lady, but tell us where you came from, how you sort of ended up where you are today. Well, like I always said to you, I uh, coming from the middle of the Cuba, a city called Santo Espíritu, and I'm coming from a family that for three generations, all they have done is to grow tobacco and work a farm. But I went to Havana to do drama school, and I was graduating, and I graduated as a drama school and worked several years until, you know, that destiny that we all have uh, traced put me here in London. By that time, my sister and my ex-brother-in-law were here working, my ex-brother-in-law was the very first Cuban people that came to work in Hunter San Francos. And he was very close with the late Simon Chase and the late uh, Nicola Freeman. Right. Uh, I had the amazing pleasure to get to know. And Simon, for me, was uh, my personal mentor more than anything. It was like a part of the family. And for one of those things, I was doing several jobs at the time. And then... One day I decided to join my ex-brother-in-law at the Heathrow Airport in the World Duty Free, and that's how my life started the cigar business. After the 11, September the 11th, the Twin Towers in America, a day that for me was also another great dramatic day because I was working that day, and I recall still nowadays all the pain of people. I really couldn't live, I mean, I couldn't carry on working there, so I decided to come to London, and I was lucky enough that I started in October 2001 at the Harrod with the J.J. Fox Group, uh, led by that time by the amazing Jim Clark, and that's where my London base started. And from there to nowadays, I've been working almost everywhere except in Davidoff. <laughs> Amazing. When and when you think back to your childhood, Max. Do you, did, was it sort of, uh, did you spend time in the plantations? Can you see that sort of vast sea of green plants around you? And because and, I think you remember, I remember you telling me at one time, uh, you know, everybody had to go and work in the holidays and things. So you just got roped in and just sort of learnt it because you had to be there. Is that right? Exactly. I and mean, you know, also what we also do, did a lot in the countryside. We used to be all the time with machetes. <laughs> <laughs> not the dreaded machetes <laughs> sadly it was only one finger cut but it was a lot of machete <laughs> oh that's that's a story we need to tell we need to repeat that story so when i was when i was in havana <laughs> we had a laugh do you, ha 
listen, do you have a, an empty room at your house? Because if I said again this story, I'm going to be evicted. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, perhaps we better not tell the story. But, but let's just say it involves a member of Mags's family, a machete, a chicken and a lost finger. <laughs> <laughs> no, Nikki. indeed, to answer your question, of course, we all, the three of us, we have to work in the plantation, helping my father, my grandfather, my mother, you know. I think from the moment that you plant the seeds, that you do the greenhouse, to the moment that you uh, collect the tobacco and you cure in the Casa de Tabaco, all of that we did. We have done all, every single stage on the tobacco plantation. And the most that we enjoyed was playing, hiding from each other inside of the Casa de Tabaco then. And that was the most dangerous situation for us. Uh, so you played in what in the, in the in the in the barns in, in the, the fields. The drying barn, yes. You know when you have the tobacco light in the drying barn, that uh, you have I to see. change the tobacco from up to down every day. We used to play. We used to hide between the tobacco. So what jobs did they get you to help with, Mags, when you were old enough to do so? Well, Nikki, I plant tobacco a lot in my life. Wow. I take the, but the little uh, groans that goes in between the leaves of the tobacco, you know, we call hijos, and we call that process desbotonar. I collect tobacco. I take the leaf out of the, you know, the, the stick of the tobacco plant. I mean, I have done practically everything. We, all of us, did everything in the, the tobacco until even to cure and to do the first fermentation of tobacco and then package, and then that's it, because that's the moment that the government comes, buy the tobacco from the farmers, and you finish with that. And that must have been a sort of hard life, but I'd imagine looking back, it was quite just a simple but a good life, wasn't it? Out in the fresh air, the sunshine, with your family. How many days have you spent working in the countryside to ask me that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hate it. I hate that process. Absolutely <laughs> hate it. I used to hate the farm. I used to hate the tobacco. I used to hate everything that was working hard. What, because it was just too hard and it wasn't what you wanted to be doing? Is This is a hard work, eh, Nikke. Once you plant the tobacco, and for three, four months, you are really a slave of your tobacco plantation. Right. Because just taking account, you probably don't go one day to check on your tobacco plantation and one day can lead to you losing the whole entire plantation because there are several virus uh insect uh chicken is a lot of you know birds they can even buy the tobacco leaf and break it and it's so many things happening that also the grass if you let grass grow on the bottom of the plantation you know the grass will take the whole energy from the plant as a consequence the plant will dry out so this is a job that once you do the tobacco plantation, every single day of your life, you have to go at least twice to check on your tobacco and do manual work. And that's the hardest thing, that everything is done by hands. Yeah, now you say that, I can understand what you mean. Yeah, there's so many things to go wrong and it's not just a, it's not just a nice to have. This is what's going to keep the family alive over the next year, isn't it? So, um, exactly. Yeah, you know? It's serious exactly. stuff. Exactly. So when did you first taste the cigar mags and then realise that there was something of interest there? Did you did you like the first cigar you tasted? 
well, my sister and I were about like maybe I think she was eight, I was little, or maybe I was eight, she was a little bit older. And we were, you know, always with the grandfather and we were always trying to like, you know, touching the tobacco and kind of that curiosity. And I remember that my father sat us and asked my mom to do a little cigar for us. Um, we smoked, we were drunk, sick. I mean, like, uh, you have no idea how bad it was. I lose my voice, which is the worst thing to lose for me. My sister was completely like a green, red, uh, like a really sick. Um, but you know, maybe they opened the curiosity for me and I didn't do much, but I see my mom rolling the tobacco, I mean, rolling the cigars for my grandfather and every single day um, for neighbors, for everybody who did work in the plantation. And that kind of like opened the curiosity of the smell of the aroma. But like I said to you, I used to really hate the countryside. So also, sadly, my father was very sick. He uh, suffered almost six years of his life with leukemia. And then the doctor advised my mom that we had to move from the countryside to the city, you know, to be closer to the hospital. And then we did. And that for me was... I was by that time eight, eight and a half, almost nine years when we moved to the city. And my grandfather passed away by that time already. My mom concentrated to take care of my father. And I went to bordering school. And then I spent six years in bordering school because you do secondary school and then you do like high school in bordering school in another city. And it was really when I went to Havana to study drama that, you know, there is something called farandula. Farandula is when you are in the drama or any art institution school and you are always in concert, you go to the theater, you know, you are always in the artistic life of the city. And then there, many people start to smoke cigarettes. Bear in mind, I have never touched a cigarette in my life. I hate it. Never, never. However, cigars was something different. We used to smoke cigars, you know, in the drama school, also because if we were doing a play where a cigar was involved and we did a lot Shakespeare, so we have to, you know, that British life of that time, had to recreate Oscar Wilde. And then there we start to smoke a little bit in a higher proportion. But when I really, really think I reconnect with a cigar and start to smoke cigars and start to understand and to enjoy and to educate my palate, it was really when I already was living in London and I was very close to my ex-brother-in-law. Right. Uh, so in Cuba, do many ladies enjoy cigars? Is that, is that quite a, something you see quite often? When I was little, very mind, I am 53 now. So when I was a little one, uh, still was a kind of like a, the mentality was a little bit like all. Um, you were able to see only all ladies smoking cigars, mainly cigar rollers, mainly ladies that live in the farm that the husband grow tobacco and they smoke together. Sensefully, right now, nowadays, I have seen for the last maybe 10 years that is a huge increase of women now smoking a cigar. Now it's even the Women's Cigar Club in Havana. Uh, the lady called Zoe, who was the director of the Museum of Tobacco, did a lot to help that kind of culture. And you have a lot of interesting people in Cuba now that 
they meet in several places. You have Yolanda Medina, our, you know, the queen of the cigar roller, who mm. now has in her house, as she retired, she has like a cigar club that is only for ladies. So they met, they meet like a once a month and they go there, gather together, drink, and then they smoke cigars. But this is really pleasant. Even Sarah Sounder, you know, now every year on the festival, and I think she's been doing for the last maybe five, six festivals. She is the president of the International Women's Cigar Club, and she always dedicates one day of the festival, you know, to meet, to gather all women around the world, to see what is new, what is going on, and mainly to enjoy a cigar together. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it, how it's changed? And I've noticed it on, on my travels. You know, I, I've written stories about cigar clubs all over Europe, and uh, ladies' cigar clubs, that is. Um, so while we're on the subject, what would you recommend to a lady who perhaps fancies the idea or has had the odd cigar or two and would like to know a bit more but, you know, doesn't want to smoke something that's going to make her feel rough? What would you, what would you point her towards? Well, one of my favourite cigars, because, you know, uh, for the last maybe three years, we also, in Southern Cigars, we are also getting a lot of ladies that come to smoke on Sundays mainly. I have like a, when I work on Sundays, I have like a four regular ladies that always come. They will call me to see if I am the one working and we will meet. Um, one of the cigars that I really like to give them to start is the Demitas of El Rey del Mundo. Uh, funny, I love that cigar as a morning cigar. It's a beautiful little cigar. It won't last more than 15 minutes, but it's a very floral, it's a very aromatic, and it has that distinguished kind of creamy flavor that will never bother the palate. However, and having said that, you know that in London we have a person that I admire a lot, and that person is also Cuban, is Ana Lopez. is one of the masters of Cuban cigars in England. And she was also the director of marketing of Havana Cigar for so many years. Yeah. And thanks to that lady, because she has done so many things for the Cuban cigar industry, thanks to that lady, Romeo and Juliet came about, I think it's already about five, six, maybe seven years ago, with the Julieta cigars. And Ara cigar, which are slightly larger than the Mitas, is like a little panetella, and they come in teams of five. And that's another cigar that right now I'm selling a lot for the ladies in the shop because it's also very gentle, it's very subtle, it has that kind of like a cherry flavor because, you know, Romeo and Juliet is one of the most mellow cigar brands in Cuba. And then I'm selling that cigar a lot. However, even myself, and you have seen me smoking a really big cigars, I got ladies that smoke double Coronas, Churchill, uh, Cañonazo, Siglo VI, Serene. you have ladies that smoke torpedos, then that's the good thing with the ladies. And nowadays, we are not just, you know, alienate to smoke like a little and a slim cigars. We nowadays can smoke big cigars. I got a customer of mine who you know very well, Basin. He uh, Basin, yeah, of course. Yeah, well, Basin introduced us, uh, Agnes, his uh, girlfriend, about also four years ago, and uh, which do you think it was Agnes' very first cigar in life? Bolivar Belicoso Finos. No. And I can tell you nowadays, when they go together to the shop, Agnes is able to smoke a stronger cigar than Basin. 
Excellent. Can you imagine you start with a cigar, your very first cigars, is on river bellicoso finos. What the hell are you gonna smoke in a year time? You every day year you need something stronger. It's like my delight for Lawrence Davis, you know? <laughs> your your goes up and up and you know, you need to smoke stronger cigars day by day. Wow, that's yeah, that's pretty hardcore. And yeah, that's a good point. We talked to you mentioned Salta and uh, Lawrence Davis and uh, I didn't really say in the intro, but of course for the last how many years is it, Mags? Nine or ten years? Nine years already, exactly. Okay, nine last years. nine years you've been working at uh, South and Mount Street. Tell us how that came about and and what it's like, you know, when you when you're there on a Saturday or a Sunday and the gang comes in. Well, uh, I only remember, uh, you know, I have loved every place that I have worked because I always learn a lot from whatever I am, and I am I'm a person that you know that I'm quite friendly with everybody. Yeah. Uh, but I only remember. Close to what happened in Souter, I can only remember back in 2004, I was the manager of the old Dunhill Cigar Shop in German Street. Okay. And I was able to create there a kind of like a cigar club atmosphere. In fact, many customers that are my best customers now at the, in the Souters, they used to be my good customers. Like Alan Harris used to go every day to Dunhill. In fact, he was the person who teach me how to drink Armagnac. David uh -huh. Factor used to be my customer there, Mark, Little Mark. I mean, it was that kind of atmosphere that now has recreated, but has recreated in a higher scale in Southern because one factor in common, who is the owner of Southern? A big cigar smoker. Dunhill was different. Let's face it, Dunhill as a company in, in those years, it was very much against tobacco. In fact, they did close that shop over there, which was a beautiful shop. I think you remember that it was, yeah. you know, beha behind that uh, kind of iron bars. And it was all the sofas. The kids were in the back. The, the barber was always sitting outside. So Saturday morning, the customer used to go half a shaving, cut the hair, and then oh, go to the cigar room to smoke a cigar for the whole day with me. And now Souther is a different matter because Lawrence is a huge cigar smoker. But not only he is a huge cigar smoker, he absolutely loves that business. And you see that he goes there every Saturday and Sunday when he's in London to work. You can see him serving customers. And that's something that he absolutely enjoys. Then on Saturday, what happened there is something magical. And we tend to say what happened in Southern stayed in Southern. Because we joke a lot. Um, we smoke cigars a lot. We do competition for charity. And, you know, we do the newspaper, how you call it? Help my oh. English. Oh, what, the pool? You know? Uh-huh. And then we compete. We do teams <laughs> and whatever, whoever is not on the team and say an answer, had to put a pound in the pot for the charity uh, disabled children. Um, you know, it's something magical. What happened there on Saturday, only if you are there, you can understand. Because it's a kind of like a family having fun. We order pizzas, everybody eat, we jog, we watch TV, we watch football. Every single person has a different uh, football team. So you can imagine that we all fight for our football team. So it's a kind of atmosphere that I have never been able to see nowhere else that I have worked in my life here in London. 
that's very true. It is utterly unique. And that I've been lucky enough to be there a few times on a Saturday. And it's like a sort of rolling rolling club. People come, people go, people come back. Some people go off to watch the football, go to watch the Spurs. Some people want to know the results of, of, of something else. Other people don't care about football, but just sit there and have a laugh. And the, all the time there's these guys coming and going and getting their smokes. And it's not a big shop. So, you know, you're in there and there's, it's, you know, there's smoke everywhere and the doors open if it's a decent day. And Lawrence is sitting there like the sort of captain of the ship. And he always has a very contented look on his face on a Saturday, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely. But you know, Saturday we even have like a regular doggies <laughs> because we have like a four customer that they have a beautiful dog and they oh, tend yes, to go there right. with the dogs, yeah. you know? Is that you have Ruth Kane, who is a celebrity in the radio on the TV. Yeah. He goes there with a the doggy. You have Big Joe, he goes there with a the doggy. We have the most famous little dog of Mayfair, Leo the Mayfair, goes <laughs> there and sits on top of the humidor. I mean, it's a kind of like a... What happened there on Saturday is is a unique atmosphere. It's just Saturday, Saturday uh, regular. It really is. And uh, the rest yeah. of the week is not quite like that, but it's like a sort of slightly distilled version. People popping in. It's not just a cigar club. It's a sort of, it's a social club as well, isn't it? Yeah, because you can see Saturday, the people that go there first are Lauren's personal friend that has become family for us that they don't see Lawrence during the week because everybody's working. So Saturday is the day for them to go there, chill out. They all go together for lunch. They will go. Lauren will take a group of 15 people easily to the pizza place for lunch. So it's a kind of like, a, you know, gathering, a family gathering, enjoying the cigar. We discuss everything. We discuss Cuba. We discuss United States. We discuss the rest of Europe. You know, you've been there. You know the Saturdays there are, you cannot compare with anything in life. No, it's definitely true. And, um, and part of the whole Salter experience really is, uh, certainly for you and, and some of Lawrence's friends and guests and, and customers, has been in recent years to make that trip to Cuba. And, um, and we were there last year, weren't we? But uh, it, it's quite something else, really, when we get to go and use your expertise and your contacts uh, to really find out what's happening on the ground go down to Hiroshi Rabinas and have lunch and, and really get under the skin. And, um, and, uh, and that is still something that people just don't get the chance to do unless they really, you know, know how to work things in Cuba, which you obviously do. Well, let me tell you something first. We did really miss you this year, honestly, from my book. Oh, my heart. We, did, we did miss you there this year, but this year, Probably Lawrence already mentioned to you because I know that you did already the video, which, by the way, I can't wait to do one with both of you. Ah, uh, we're going to sort that's, it back. That's, that's for Lawrence. If he is listening, he knows that he owes me that because he promised that in Havana, that we will do the three of us a video together with a new line of the Romeos uh, uh, de Oro. Fantastic. Uh, this year, it was something that, if I put it together a year ago, be, uh, behind us before, I couldn't do, I mean, I couldn't have done it the way that we did it this year because it was a mere casualty of this year. Imagine that this year we went in a matter of two days to three different cigar uh, uh, factories and in every single one, they treat us like, you know, we were, I mean, VIP. Just matter uh, that, <laughs> well, you know, 
my beautiful Berta Corso, they used to work at Laguito and now work in the new Romeo and Juliet factory. Sí. And she is retired and she was in fact outside Cuba because she has been uh, living and working for a little while now in Jamaica. But just happened that she went back to Cuba exactly a week before the festival. Now remember, I went also before Lawrence to get everything ready because I, you know, you saw me a year ago. I get very frustrated when things doesn't work. I am very organized in that way. Yeah. Then I went, I went a week before the festival, not only because also my mother was 84 years old, so I want to be on her birthday. Oh. And then I kind of like uh, do the last touch of my program. And then Berta was there, so we meet. And then I asked, Berta, can I take my people to the factory? She says to me, well, you know, I'm retired, but I'm going still, I'm kind of teaching the person who is going to take my place. So I'm still around. Let me speak with the director. Bingo. We went to the Romeo Sun factory. We saw the cigar roller school. We take cigars. You know, it was a pleasant morning. Oh, amazing. That's fantastic. Oh, oh, damn. And I wish I could have been there. Then Yolanda took us to the Partagas factory. And then, bingo, we went to the Partagas factory, and then, you know, you start to see everybody there. You see Joel, the big boxer who is a cigar roller, and we start, We went to the cigar school again, and did the whole Partagas uh, tour, except the escaparate. No one let me get into the escaparate, oh, even, though I pro even though I promise I won't touch anything. <laughs> but the escaparate this year was closed because it was everything from the festival there. And then... Yolanda took us to the Hay Shadman factory. It has a new director that it comes from the military life. So, you know, it's not from the tobacco background. It's on one that was put there. Um, you know, you know. Like the, the everybody system. else in charge, right? But I tell you what, thanks to Yolanda, who was a very small group. It was the gentleman, the owner of the Duty Free of China. And this will sound uh, strange, but yes. He was in Cuba because he was outside China when everything happened there. He was in America right. and he went to Cuba for the festival. And then it was just us, the gentleman from the Duty Free of China, Yolanda, I me. Mean, it was a group of maybe six people. And we went straight to the Admin factory and we ended smoking the new, brand new cigars that were out in the auction of the humidor that night. So no one else around the globe, you know, has tried those cigars. Wow. Imagine how important it was that the manager, the only thing that he asked, he was, I'm going to just ask you something, please, not videos, no photography, because you're going to be lucky enough that you're going to try something that no one else has tried yet, but this cannot go yet into the media. And then, you know, in, in two days, we have three amazing experiences and the group enjoy a lot and you could see the eyes of Lauren. He was the happiest of every time. <laughs> I bet he was. I bet he had a, I bet he was like a happy little puppy chomping away, wasn't he? He was like a little child that you take to the toy department. <laughs> Good work, Mags. Good work. So how is life uh, for your family? How are they all out there at the moment? Well, at the moment, you know, they are okay. Uh, they, when all of these start, they didn't yet finish to collect the tobacco this year because you know that this year 
the only province that did the plantation a bit early, it was Pinal del Rio because of the situation of the petrol in Cuba last year by November. It was impossible to have petrol everywhere around the country. So they concentrate only in Pinal del Rio. Therefore, the center of the country did the plantation really already on December. So they start to collect the tobacco by the very end of uh, February through the whole entire March. So, you know, it was almost no time to do many things because at the moment everybody in Cuba is also in a kind of like a self-imposed uh, recommendation uh, quarantine too. Right. I mean, people in Havana are getting crazy. They go to the street, but the situation now is getting a little bit more serious for them. They already have, last night it was almost 400 of uh, cases. Uh, you know, it's hard. It is hard, but I don't want to go to speak about that matter. And you understand why. Yes, absolutely. Of course I do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can imagine in Cuba that is hard because even some, even more than the Italians, Cubans are such tactile people. They hug and they kiss and they chat and they sing and they dance. And you don't do all those things on your own, right? <laughs> no, even me. When I came back, I was really worried because you have no idea how many Italians, even from the, you know, the Lombardi zone, where they are with us on the festival, and you know me with them. I am always, you know, from one to another, hug here, hug there, chat, chat, chat. So when everything broke out, I said, oh, my God, I've been with all these people. How do I know? Oh, bless you. Yeah, you're not one to, not one to hide away on your own. You do like to go around and meet everybody and have a good chat. So what are you, um, you know, when things have finally sorted themselves out and we're back to some relative normality, or what will be a normality? Uh, what are you looking forward to doing the most? Do you know that yesterday someone asked me that in Facebook? And do you know what I write? First, things, first thing is to taste in the early morning again a cappuccino. I oh. forgot what is the taste of a cappuccino. I know. And I have to say, it's interesting that one my kids were asking me yesterday. We went for a nice walk. Um, in, the, in the countryside away from, from everybody we took the dogs out and I said to the girls you know what will you do when you've uh, you know when we've got the chance again and one of them said you know I want to go and meet my mates and, and the other said oh you know I don't know I'd like to just uh, you know go and visit a, a relative or whatever and I said I'm really looking forward to just being able to go to a coffee shop and sit and have a coffee <laughs> yeah a cappuccino and a cigar Oh. I haven't smoked a cigar since the festival because here we are, the three of us, in a, a small flat. So it's not really. Plus, I am not a person that in sad moments smoke a cigar in my own. I can't. Maybe if I did have a patio. But it's so sad, Nick, that I don't want to speak about that. But no, yeah, I guess cappuccino, cigar, work, make everything ready and take the plane. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. What is so? What is your opinion of the the way things are moving in just in cigars in general? We've seen in the last five years or so or more, you know, cigars have got bigger and fatter, and and uh, maybe they've got a little less strong. Some of them, like we talked about earlier, the Bolivar Bellicosos Finos used to be a really strong cigar. I don't think it's as strong anymore. Um, and actually, it's quite hard to find a really good, strong cigar these days. I think the situation is also the quality of the tobacco with the whole climate changing. You know, you cannot deny that everything in the world is changing fast. 
So yeah. with the whole client situation changing, uh, the amount of hurricane, the rain, I remember a year ago, May, Cuba broke the record in the history as the most raining months. And, you know, everything has changed. Therefore, even though they try to blend the tobacco seed and they have two, the most important center of uh, investigation of tobacco, one is in Pinal del Rio and one is in my city, San Espiritu, and they try to get a variety of tobacco, which can be stronger by the day, because everything is changed, the soil also changed. Believe it or not, the soil changed. The vitamins of the soil okay. change. Yeah. And the quality of tobacco, I mean, maybe Lauren saw you, and I have a lot of photos if you want uh, to uh, see any photos, even for uh, all your writings. And the tobacco that Hiroshi was planting this year, it was absolutely phenomenal. Imagine uh, really? Hiroshi, is doing a, Hiroshi is doing an experiment to going back the way that Cubans used to plant tobacco in 19th century. Hiroshi is doing a plantation of the wrapper song grown. And I'm really? not lying to you. Wrapper song grown. Wow. And when he told us, when he told us, the first expression for us, it was like, mm. and I said, but Hiroshi, <laughs> the sunshine is going to burn the tobacco. Therefore, the texture of the leaf of the wrapper that this kind of silk is going to be a little bit rough. And he said, wait, come. He took us to the Casa de Tobacco. Oh my God, Nick. Really? Absolutely phenomenal. I cannot describe in words. When you touch that leaf, it was so sensitive, so fragile, so silk. The color was pure. That is a leaf that is going to mature almost maduro. That's going to be a Colorado oscuro, but really oscuro. Wow. And if that, if that is a positive scene, can you imagine? And all the growers of tobacco in Cuba start to do that in the same way. Can you imagine how much money they're going to be able to save? Because people don't have any idea how much it costs to do the whole entire covering of the muslin for a huge tobacco plantation. Yeah, of course. You have to go even plant by plant, tidying, you know, in these iron bars. Because when it's windy or rain, the plant can go down and break. And they need to tie it to keep it up, looking always up. That's going to save them so much money. However, how do we know also the feeling, which flavor, which complexity? True. But like I always said to everybody, there is only one type of tobacco in Cuba, you know? Yeah. It's a criollo, the Cuban criollo tobacco, tobacco negro cubano. But there is such a thing as a good rollers and bad rollers. You can give the best tobacco leaf to a roller that doesn't have the experience and it won't do the perfect blend. And you can give like the mediocre tobacco, whatever you find, to a huge master roller and that master roller we make miraculous, you know, with the tobacco leaf. Very so good. I, think, I think what is happening also is inside of the factories, you know, maybe the quality control, maybe all the new cigar rollers that are starting to make cigars maybe just six months after they are into the academy, where before was never like that. You need to, like, a, at least two years in the academy and doing, like, a, you know, for the internal market cigars, then to start to work for the external market. It's so many factors that you never know what is happening, but the truth is that, that we did a smoke. Good, really good, but did it, we did a smoke some really bad cigars uh, in this week in Havana. 
So the, the sun grown, is that not really thick then? No, I was thinking that. I was really sick. It's a little bit thicker than the normal, you know, right. song, uh, I mean, Che Grom, but it's never like a ligero or seco volado. You can still see that this is a wrapper uh, leaf. Amazing. And did you get to taste it? No, we didn't taste because he did it this year. He was, in fact, collecting or still uh, the tobacco. I mean, that was the very first uh, plantation right. that he collected not to allow the strong sunshine of March already to damage the plantation, but it was uh, still in the dry, yeah, it was in the dry environment, still in the first fermentation process. But you could see that the leaves that he was rotating from the top to the bottom, that was already the color was like a really gold. And like I said to you, that's a tobacco that is going to mature completely colorado scuro. Wow. That's really interesting, isn't it? I love yeah, but, it. Yeah, but... Can't but wait to see how that tastes. That's the main thing. That's the way that we used to grow the tobacco in the 19th century in Cuba. Right. I didn't know that. Yeah, that was the way. I got here the book. If you want, I can lend it to you. The book that Guillermo Cabrera Infantes wrote about the whole history of, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19th century Yeah, I'd love to borrow that, yeah. I can give it to you. And that's the way that the plantation was done in Cuba two centuries ago. Why did they stop and then change to the cheesecloth? Maybe because, you know, the engineer, the agronomical engineer start to do studies and it's true. You can see when you do the shade-grown uh, tobacco, you can see that the leaf has that kind of silky. It yeah. gets less texture, also less veins, because when you grow the tobacco under the sunshine, it also has a bigger veins. Yeah. Then it must be, it must be know, stronger as well, surely. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a tobacco that will have definitely a, an amount of flavour too. Not just aroma, but a bit yeah, of flavour exactly. too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, sun grown's not unheard of, of course. And, and, and you know, it, a lot of the New World cigars use sun grown wrapper um, from various parts of the world. Ecuadorian sun grown is quite popular. But again, it's quite a coarse wrapper and it's, it is very tasty. And maybe, as you say, we're going to start seeing. Cuban cigars that have a wrapper that's not just for, for show, but it actually tasted something as well. Exactly. But remember, I always said to you and to everybody that asked me that question in the shop, like Nicaragua. Nicaragua grows a lot of wrapper too, but Nicaragua is a country that has Pacific, Atlantic, volcanoes, crude oil that comes from Canada to down to uh, Venezuela. Yeah. And yet, yet, the tobacco never reached the aroma and intensity of a Cuban tobacco. And it's a pretty good soil, you know. And then you have Ecuador. But yeah. Ecuador is something different, Nikki. It's something unique. Because Ecuador is growing 100% Cuban seeds. Now, what happened? Ecuador is the most cloudy country in the whole entire world. Yeah. The sunshine comes really straight into the soil no more than an hour and a half a day. So they really don't need to cover the tobacco because there is no sunshine during the day. And they have their natural cheesecloth, don't they? Exactly, exactly. So it's something, you know, in the decline of the country. Fascinating. Well, that, 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 well, you heard it here f first, folks. Um, Sun-grown wrapper in, Havana, in uh, Cuba. We'll see in Pinar. We'll see how that turns out. And um, I think for what Hirochi told us, it's no more than three people that did the experiment this year. 
and right. he was one of them. He was one of the luckiest ones. And everybody was there in the San Luis and San Juan in Martinez region. Nowhere else, no one is doing it. Very interesting. So we won't be seeing the results of that for at least three, four, five years? I would say five years. Definitely five years. Yeah. Yeah. Good insider knowledge, Mags. Well, thank you so much thank to you my darling <laughs> before we let you go um i thought it'd be a nice idea if you could suggest some cigars for folks to try that perhaps wouldn't ordinarily try them not the run-of-mill cigars but slightly different cigars ones that you think do really well to age or just taste have a really nice profile or are not you know are not as expensive as others just those little sleeper cigars that people could uh, could give a go and, and try perhaps if they haven't already is there anything that immediately springs to mind well i have to say something and i know because you said no overly expensive the one that i'm going to say number one is a little bit expensive okay but honestly it is worth to try i know that there's a lot of guy that has on the mind they will always smoke six cigars but yeah. for me el rey del mundo la reina Regional edition, United Kingdom, 2019. Oh my God, what a cigar. I will recommend to someone who can buy a box, buy a box, smoke one cigar right now. Yeah. Keep it down. Smoke another cigar in two years' time. Keep it down. Five years' time and ten years' time because I guess that cigar in ten years' time is going to be what the Trinidad Fundadores got labels are right now for us. That's True. a cigar that is superbly good. And in the daily basis cigar, you have Ramon Alones, whether it's the special selected that is my favorite Robustos or the Club, yeah. the small Club, which is a three petty Coronas. That's a cigar that is a beautiful cigar. Partaga short cabinet selection to age five, ten years. It's a perfect cigar. But mm -hmm. then you also, you also can have Diplomaticos number three. We have in Southern Diplomaticos number three from 2000, 2001, and those cigars are superbly good, are wow. to die for. And then, you know, the H. Chapman, H. Chapman Magnum 46. I remember Hontes and Francos has a lot in the package of three of age. They were 1997, 1998, and those cigars were absolutely delightful. Well, was a cigar to cigar. Die for. You, don't, you don't hear about that anymore, do you? It finished. They finish. Yeah. Yeah, they finish. I mean, those one age finish. Such a shame because it was. I thought it was quite popular, but obviously not. Um, but yeah, the Mag Forty Six was a was a classic. For me, it's one of my favorite H. Chapman still. For me, H. Chapman is the Sir Winston, the Churchill, which is my favorite Churchill, and then Bellicosos. I mean, the Atman number two, that's my favorite torpedo cigar, that yeah. one, and, yeah. and Diplomaticos, because I know that you are uh, mad on Diplomaticos too. And then the <laughs> Magnum 46, I absolutely love. But then, you know, they put out the Conocedor A, Conocedor B, those are secret ringage, and then now the Magnum 54, which I don't like particularly myself. And the another cigar that I, again, is another cigar that when you are in the rush, but you want to have the perfect draw, the perfect taste and complexity, is straight to Partega Series D number six. Uh, the D six, the little, the little um, punchy yeah. 
Yeah, what a exactly. great cigar. What a great cigar. That's another cigar that we have to say hat off and thank you, Duana Lopez. Yeah. She created she create that cigar too. That's incredible. It's, it's just a brilliant idea and it worked so well, doesn't it? When it came out, it was in the two, it's, you know, for the first time with the, the cigars on top of each other, as it were, as opposed to sort of in a bundle in, in the box. And you sort of think crumbs, you know, somebody's chopped it chopped a D4 in half or whatever, but actually it just works. Exactly. So you well. know, it, it, it's, it's a cigar that is saving the time that when you light a series D number four that build up the aroma to the moment that open up, that's what happened with the D number six. It's no waste of time. You go straight to the point, you know, yeah. straight to the flavor, straight to deliver that amount of uh, richness. And it's a cigar that in fact, if you have it quite early and you are not a regular cigar smoker, it can make you a little bit dizzy uh, yeah. more than the Partaga series de number four. Yeah, it definitely has got a punch to it. I always say it's like a really good, strong double espresso. It gives you a real, real punch, doesn't it? Yeah, indeed, indeed. I don't tend to smoke it too much before uh, even lunch because it has given me even a headache for the whole entire day. <laughs> oh, bless you. <laughs> Mags, what an absolute joy it is to speak with you and just waffle on about cigars. I love talking to you about cigars. And it's just lovely to hear from you and to see that you're well and just keeping safe. And we will get through all this nonsense and, uh, and meet again the other side. I can't wait to come and, and join you for a smoke. Thank you so much for inviting me today, Nick. I can't wait. I swear in God, I can't wait for all of this to happen. To have you all at the shop, even more you, because we need to carry on fish your book. Can you imagine? I'm missing to fish true. your book with the customers. <laughs> Magali is my head saleswoman. Every every poor customer that comes in, and especially if I happen to be sitting there, she says, "Do you know this guy's written a book? Here he is. Look, he will sign it for you. <laughs> it's brilliant. It works every time. I think you've sold more more books than anyone in the country, Max." Well, let's, let's pray that all of this horrible nightmare is going to end sooner than later and we will back and we will enjoy cigar. And just to tell to all my lovely customers and friends and people on Instagram, I can't wait to see you all, guys. I miss you so much. Bless Stay you, well Mag. and safe. Stay well and safe. Yeah, and to you. Take care, Max. Thanks so much. Bye-bye, Nikki. See you soon. Bye-bye. Lovely, lovely lady. I always enjoy chatting to her. Um, she has the heart of a whale and she's a lovely lady. And she, what she doesn't know, as I said, about cigars is, is not worth knowing, frankly. And she can talk. I mean, she, she could talk about anything for hours on end, mags. <laughs> and you should hear her going at it with, uh, with her Cuban friends in Spanish. It's, uh, it's like machine gun. But... Um, she can talk for hours and hours and even days and days about cigars and you would never get bored of hearing it. It's just quite fascinating. And like anything worth knowing, the more you get into it, the more you want to know and the less you know in a way. Uh, because you realise that there are people, experts, people who actually grow the damn stuff, who know so much more than you'll ever know, having just smoked a few cigars. So, you know, always a salutary lesson to those who've smoked a few cigars and think they know what they're talking about. Um, 
let's not forget, uh, I need to say, that my book, Around the World in 80 Cigars, uh, published by Red Door Publishing, is available and online in good bookshops and cigar merchants. Now, uh, due to obvious reasons, warehouses and things have been closed, so stocks are getting a little low. If you're thinking of getting a book or buying one as a gift, I strongly would urge you to do so because uh, we are probably going to run out shortly until we can get things up and running. So make the most of that. And while we're here, I wanted to thank you for your involvement um, in uh, getting in touch and letting us know what you've thought about the latest uh, latest podcast. I've been delighted. People seem to um, absolutely love it. And that's something I hoped might happen, but wasn't sure that would. Uh, let's have a look just at some of your comments. Uh, Frank P says, just heard your podcast. Keep them coming. Wonderful way to stay in touch with such a fas- fascinating subject. Thanks, Frank. Um, Oceans, best hour of my day, he says. Well done, Nick. Love it. Looking forward to many more. All, all the best to yourself and LD. Thank you, Oceans. Well, LD normally gets a mention. <laughs> we are a bit of a double act sometimes. Um, righty. Talking about, uh, oh yes, talking about the interview with Jimmy McGee. I love the concept of brushing down cigars. Yeah, yeah, that's something that I <laughs> that I always like as well. The uh, brushing the cigars to bring out the best of them. Uh, let's have a look at a few more while we're here. Um, perfect Saturday morning listen with a coffee and cigar, says Liam McLaughlin on Twitter. Uh, that's kind of you, Liam. Thank you. Uh, uh, isolation ain't all bad, says Lee Thomas. <laughs> no, true. That's That was the the, uh, the reason, really, to give you something to listen to. Um Let's go just scroll through these. Sia Fiera, who, uh, who the, some of the cigar guys will know, is, uh, is Annabelle's now a cigar sommelier. Listen to all of this, she says, was a pleasure to hear. Thank you very much for that. Um, let's see, let's, let me just, uh, Kevin, first class, really enjoyed that. Kevin says something rather good. I, uh, oh, yeah, Kevin McGuinness. He says, oh, it was great. In fact, he's an Irish guy, so I suspect he says, ah, it was great. <laughs> a genuinely enjoyable back and forth. I found myself chuckling along. Plenty of firm nods of agreement. We are a likeable and an alike bunch of enthusiasts. Absolutely, Kevin. That, you put it beautifully. Um, Will Hargrove, Will, thank you. Wine writer, Will, he's been in touch. Enjoyed it. Uh, Michael Barrett, the bobber. Yeah, he talks about uh, particularly enjoying the bits on ageing, which I think, you know, I always find that quite fascinating. Um, let's have a look on uh, on uh, on Insta. Yeah, um, Wildy Media, Dan Wildy, photographer, finally got round to listening to this with a part of a short in the afternoon sun. It was a lovely, sociable way to enjoy a smoke. Well done, Nick. Thanks. Wildly media, that's good of you. Um, so that's kind of you to say so. In a similar vein, Cigar Photography says, Great listen. Thanks, Nick Hammond. Right, I listen while I enjoyed a lovely Lancero in the garden. Be safe. That's absolutely delightful. Um, 
And that's exactly what we were hoping for, really. Uh, Wayne Brown, 285, says, just listen to the podcast while smoking a Trinidad La Trova. Really enjoyed the pod. Found it very interesting, especially about everyone's different tastes, probably meaning the same, just a different use of language. Can't wait for the next. Yeah, well, absolutely. Havana House UK in Windsor say, great listen. We enjoyed listening to it as we pack orders late into the night. Keep up the good work, guys. And our friend Don at the Exceptional Whiskey says, absolutely brilliant podcast. Well done. Thanks, Don. Hope you're safe. Uh, Staying out of mischief. I could go on, but I won't. That just gives you an indication of the massive response uh, we've had to the pods. I'm delighted you're enjoying them. Spread the word. Let people know they're out there. Um, But most of all, stay safe. Look after each other. Look after yourselves. Hope you're all in good form. And until next time, goodbye. Well, good morning. Can you find me on a very warm morning? Bright blue sky. Sun already hot. It's half nine or something. Walking through a suburb in Havana. What up? People about, a few scabby dogs, old trucks. People are so interesting. Now I've got to try and remember not to get run. A run over and B lost. as you can hear. Perspective of Havana and 
with it. Tiny little stall on sort of bicycle wheels selling fruit. standing on the corner watching the world go by. Road signs from what I can see. So one has to be a bit careful. Still one finds where I'm going. Always the same when you come to a new place. You need that period of acclimatisation and the sort of temptation, the human temptation is to hold yourself up in your old room and not venture out and that 
sort of I know instinctively is that there's a feeling you want to fight because you've got to get out, make yourself feel at home, and then you get so much more out of your trip. You have to be a bit careful, of course, but it is an amazing place. There's lots of tropical plants and palm trees sort of sprouting out of little bits of scrap ground. alive this place. That's a lovely little spot. something that catches you out when you travel a bit. That's better. Adventures seen better days. Oh, there's an old Pontiac here. It's a taxi actually. I don't think I'll spread too far from here. Shooting the breeze, chilling out. Amazing going past on his bike.
where I am, but it doesn't really matter. These knackered old 50s cars, well not all of them, are knackered. It's amazing looking vehicle here, absolutely gleaming chrome, white paintwork, red interior. Beautiful. Plymouth. Someone was telling me that uh, cars here. Massively expensive. Hundred fifty grand or something for any old car, which is why they keep this going forever. Or maybe take a left. That's Fifth Avenue down there, I think. mosaics Gaudi Park, that's what it does remind you
in the main road, which I think is Fifth Avenue. Taking a dump. Heading down, back down towards the coast now, up to seven. 